Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. B-B-F-F-T. The Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I love good stories. I love people. I love talking with people who have good stories or know how to tell good stories. Our next guest is a fantastic story. We're talking about a guy who graduated from high school, went to college on a scholarship, was drafted into the NBA and ABA, played for the Seattle Supersonics, went on to play overseas, and then later went back to college. How does a guy who's got two degrees, including graduating from the University of Arkansas with honors, Write a book later and say, hey, I had a literacy issue. I was illiterate. Well, Dean Tolson is going to tell us all about it. One of the best high school basketball players in Missouri in his time. Full ride to Arkansas. Had a career in the armed forces. He's got a lot of life experience. He's written a book about it. Book, Power Forward, Dean Tolson. His story, his journey from illiterate NBA player. Available on Amazon at Barnes & Noble, wherever you get books. Dean Tolson's book can be found. And he's joining us now from his home. Dean, let's set the scene. Where's home for you right now? I'm in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, and I want to thank you and Ballface Truth Podcast for having me on your show today for your audience to hear my story in hopes that it will benefit them and their kids in America. I, I think you have a tremendous story, and obviously you've written it in a book. But, Dane, let's go back. Let's go back to Central High School in Kansas City. You were a young man, great basketball player. What was going on in your life? Um, and tell us how you felt at that time and how fast life was happening for you. Well, it's real simple. <laughs> One word, the ghetto. <laughs> From one-year-old to 18 years old, I lived in Kansas City in the ghetto. And um, at nine years old, my mom threw us in an orphan home because she couldn't afford to take care of us, and we stayed there for five years, and then when I got out, Three years later, I got a scholarship to the University of Arkansas. It must have felt like, um, you know, it must have been an amazing experience to go from an orphanage to a scholarship. And I have to think at that time there were a lot of people around you, too, that were in a similar predicament that probably didn't have a scholarship or the ability to earn one. Um, you know, did did you did you have doubts as a kid when you were in that orphanage as to how, how things were going to unfold for Dean Tolson? Yeah, you know, when you grow up without a dad and then the single parent mom raising five kids by herself, that's the types of things that go on in the inner city. And, you know, you go to school a lot of days hungry and you, you, you're fighting after school and after, during class and skipping class and 
not doing any assignments whatsoever and learning and, you know, being a student. I just, it's just something that didn't exist. Uh, school was a playground. You later talk about literacy and being illiterate in, in while in the NBA. And I have to wonder, like, we always hear stories about great athletes who get passed along in school. Were you a case of a kid getting passed along or were you struggling and you didn't have the resources or what was happening there? Absolutely. I failed the fifth grade twice. And so my mother came up to the school and is going to fail me the third time. And she told him, no, no, no. He is the tallest kid in this class. I want you to pass him on anyway. And so that's when it started. So they passed me. And then nobody cared whether I got the education or not. They just knew that they were going to pass me year after year after year until I that happened all the way through high school. I became the star of my uh, high school basketball team, and then I became the top player in the entire state of Missouri, averaging 30 points a game and 20 rebounds a game my senior year. And living with a secret. <laughs> I couldn't read and write. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I think about that now, Dean, and I think, like, you know, were you a kid that, did you need help? Did you need, you know, did you have uh, did you have a need? Did you have a learning disability? Or was it just a case of at some point when you're not learning the basics, you just are too embarrassed to go back and raise your hand and say, hey, I don't I don't know the sounds. I don't know. I can't read. Well, I'm, I guarantee you that over 50 or 60 percent of the kids right now in America are doing the same thing I did, mm. which is consciously decide that they're not going to commit themselves or apply themselves to getting a quality education in their life. They're thinking there's some other pie in the sky that they're going to go for or some big deal. They're going to set the world on fire or this or that. And I'm just here to let them know it's not going to happen. Get your education. My pie in the sky was the NBA. And I got there. And when I got there, I was benched for four years and never got to play. Dean Tolson, our guest, former Seattle Supersonic, Arkansas Razorback. Were there times where you had to fake it that you could read or – were there were there contract put in front of you? How do you how do you navigate that? Well, no one no one actually knows you're illiterate. You can talk. Yeah. Um, Dexter Manley, the Washington Redskins, could talk, but he was illiterate. He got a Super Bowl, but guess what? He couldn't read or write. I was the same way. You go to play for Bill Russell in mm-hmm. Seattle. What was that experience like for you? Well, you know, uh, I idolized the man. I, I turned down the ABA to play with him. And what my disappointment did I experience with that? Four years of agony and defeat. Yeah. My lifelong dream for 21 years was to get there. And when I got there, I never played. I was the 
leading scorer at 22.3 rebound, 22.3 points a game, and 13.2 rebounds, which is still the record at the University of Arkansas to this day. It's been there 52 years, and no one's broke it to this day. And you get to the NBA, and they say, eh, not good enough. You're on the bench. Yeah. You ever get an opportunity, or was it just a case of, you, you, now looking back, you never felt like you got a fair shake? Every opportunity I got, I took advantage of it. I averaged a point a minute a game and shot 56.6 from the field in yeah. the NBA and broke and broke the NBA uh, uh, record for the Seattle Supersonics. This guy by the name of Dick Snyder used to hold it, and he was at 53.3, and I broke it at 56.6 in 1976-77. I mean, at that time, too, you don't have expansion. You don't have extra teams no, in the league. If, if, you, if you don't make the team, you're on, you're on your way overseas. That's why I played 12 years international. What did it feel like when you got overseas and you finally got a chance to well, I got to relax game. and play. I got to relax and really play. And, you know, I averaged 40, 45 points a game everywhere I went. <laughs> was it? <laughs> and I was just waiting for the NBA to pick me back up, and nobody ever picked me back up. Man, just a different time, too. Yeah, yeah, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. I was out playing the guys that were supposed to be better than me. That was the problem. Dean Tolson. But I was illiterate, so no one listened to what I had to say. So I ended up going back to college to prove to them that illiteracy wasn't the problem. I just needed an opportunity to play. When did you make that decision? Because you go back to Arkansas, you don't just get uh, a degree. You get a master's degree. You graduate <laughs> You graduate with honors. It kind of feels like you were out to prove something. It, it, not, I was out to prove something to myself. <laughs> See, that's what I want the kids in America to understand, is you don't have to prove nothing to mommy or daddy or aunt or uncle or sister and brother. Prove it to yourself and better yourself in society and make your contribution, make your mark, make your grades. What did that feel like? Because when you go back to Arkansas, you hear players who say, I'm going back to get the degree for my mom, or I'm going back because that was a promise I made to my grandma. When you went back, you're saying it was you were doing it for you. Yeah, I was doing it. What I want kids to understand in America is when you get an education, it is beyond an education. You find out who you are in this life. Because the tears roll down your eyes uncontrollably after you do it. They can't see that right now, though, can they? That's why 7,000 of them a day drop out in America, one every 26 seconds, 1.2 million a year, every day. You're, you're a guy who has the key to the city now. In you know you, you're, you're a guy who's got the degrees, yeah. and I find it interesting now that you know you've got the message right, and I love your message. I'm the first professional player in American history to ever pull it off. Yes. Do you think Dean Tolson at in Missouri going to high school would have listened to Dean Tolson today? No. 
Absolutely took some, not. Took some time, didn't it? Well, m- my head was hard as a granite countertop. <laughs> okay? And listen, nobody. And then when I turned 32 years old, I finally listened to my mother, and she told me to go back to school, and I did it. Because I had a contract to go back to Athens, Greece. And she hid my plane ticket and my passport and and my contract in the attic of the house from me when I came to visit her. And I said, Mother, where's my stuff? She says, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Excuse me? It's only you and I in the house. It just didn't walk off the dresser drawer somewhere. (laughs) And so she walks around there with her mouth poked out for two or three days, and she goes, yes, I've seen it, and you're not getting it back. Whoa. What's that all about? She says, sit down here, I'll tell you. So I sat down at the table, and she told me. And tears just started rolling out her eyes and told me, you go back to that university, boy. And you work hard. And you will graduate. And for one time, I listened to her and did it. And now, that's why you're talking to me right now. Our guest, former NBA player Dean Tolson, two degrees from the University of Arkansas. He's talking about literacy and spreading a message. He's written a book about it. Um, why did, why did, why was it important for you to write it down and, and write a book about it? Because I find it interesting that a guy, I mean, the story is really about being illiterate, and here you are writing a book. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate uh, comeback. Well, I've been talking to kids for almost 40 years, and my story kept falling on deaf ears to the public. Like I wasn't saying or doing anything, okay? And so I says, okay, I'm going to go back and get a master's, and and I'm going to show them beyond an undergraduate degree how it can be done. And not only that it can be done, is that it can be done in style with honors and and a a magnum cum laude degree where I get inducted into the National uh, Honor Society uh, in Chicago, Illinois, of all the collegiate uh, colleges in America with a 3.9 GPA. I am uh, very interested in resilience. I think as a trait. You love it, huh? I love, <laughs> I love resilience. And your story has resilience all over it. But you tell me. I mean, you're in an orphanage. You're at Arkansas. You're on the bench in Seattle. You're overseas. You've dealt with tremendous amount of, of of difficulty uh, and the odds were against you where did you get the resilience where did you get the motivation and the drive amid all of that one word failure what human being that's trying to achieve something really wants to fail anybody out there <laughs> that's the answer I refuse to fail. See, what people have to understand is failure and pain are married to one another. There's a marriage between those with those two 
failure and pain. Because for you not to fail, you have to go through some pain. And I would cry every night for four years to figure that out. That was pain. I I keep thinking about your career, and you end up overseas, and you have to have thinking be thinking when you're overseas about life after basketball. Your mom certainly put it right in front of you and said, "Hey, go back to school." But you end up in being an entrepreneur. I mean, you get a carpet cleaning company. You, yeah, you have an I ran ed- that for twenty years. Yeah, mm-hmm. like is that something you you thought, "Hey, I can do this," or how do you find how do you find that? Well, I, I, as a um, a freshman. Uh, my second time around in Arkansas, which I was 32 years old, I took a job in Lenexa, Kansas, as a, a part-time carpet cleaner. I clean on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It makes some extra money because I was broke going back to school. I didn't spend all my basketball money. I didn't have no money. And so I was working for $6.50 an hour. So after learning the trade for three or four years, I said, you know what? When I graduate, I'm going to start my own carpet cleaning company because I saw the money in the business. And so when I graduated, I pulled the GMAC package, General Motors Acceptance Corporation, and it says, Let's, let us start your credit after graduation. We'll uh, loan you your first vehicle. So my first vehicle was a carpet cleaning van. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I bought it that. in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I drove it all the way back to Seattle and started my first carpet cleaning company. And I was the first black-owned carpet cleaning company in the city of Tacoma, Washington. I love it, Dean. Like, there's there's so much about your story that's inspirational. Uh, Dean Tolson's book, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it at Barnes & Noble. Uh, his journey from a literate NBA player to a degree, two degrees a, in a magna cum laude and, and a, you know, a success story all the way around. It, it's I, on and on, isn't it, John? Yeah. And here's the other thing. Like, you're 6'9", 180. You were a you were a dunker, right? Like you were in the oh, first dunk competition, weren't you? That's right. In the in the slam uh, first first NBA slam dunk contest, nineteen seventy six, seventy seven in Denver, Colorado, with uh, David Thompson. Did you have fun? My friend, yeah, I, mean, I know David. <laughs> I know most of them. No, but did you have fun in that competition? Oh, oh yes. I mean, I. I, I messed up. Yeah, I'm, I'm out there showing off and, and missed one of the five slams. But, uh, you know, uh, the, there was a lot of guys in there that couldn't out-dunk me. But the rules were if you miss one, you're out. Now if you miss one, you you know, it doesn't matter. But then it's, that was the rules then. So, uh, yeah, I was a, a, I, mean, I, I was one of the top five slam dunk artists that played for the Seattle Supersonics. You got Spencer Haywood, uh, Sean Kemp. Uh, Daryl Stansberry, uh, uh, Tom Chambers, and uh, and Dean Tolson, and another guy by the name of um, Kevin Durant. <laughs> hey, Dean, let me ask you because you were with the Sonics in that seventy six seventy seven season. It was your second mm-hmm. tour with the Sonics, but the Blazers win the world title. We got a lot of Blazer fans who remember that era. What are, your, what are your memories of Bill Walton, Maurice Lucas, and those Blazers? 
uh, they beat us three out of four. They beat us uh, twice at their place and one at our place, and we beat them once at our place that year. What made them special? Uh, Bill Walton. Uh, Tom Burleson did not have the talent that Bill Walton had at seven foot four, mm-hmm. and they would pass the ball inside to Bill Walton, and then the players cut off of him and go to the spots, and Bill would either put it in himself or he'd get it to one of them to shoot it in. And they, they, and and Maurice Lucas was was the first go to that he would go to uh, after himself, and they 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 put it together and won it that year. I think we took. We took third that year, and we took second my rookie year in the South, in the West in the West Coast Conference. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that was good. Good basketball in the Pacific Northwest. Oh man, that Portland uh, uh, Seattle rival was huge. It's kind of sad that it's gone now. You know, with the Sonics moving, need to get that back. Well, you know, that's part of my platform. I'm. I'm Bring the Sonics back. I mean, you know, uh, they say 2025 is what they say. We'll see. But I certainly hope so. They never should have been removed in the first place. You agree? I agree. And, Dean, I, I, part of me says I wish Dean Tolson would have got more minutes, but part of me also says, you know, <laughs> things sometimes unfold as they should. And yeah, you yeah. are a success story, my friend. Well, well John, God's in charge, okay? <laughs> And he Amen. wanted me to have this story, to give it to the kids, and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to ask my audience to go to that website out there and check it out. It's DeanTolson.com. DeanTolson.com. Check out his book. Dean Tolson, I, app- I appreciate mm-hmm. you. Go to the website. Check out his book. He's trying to reach kids, trying yep. to help kids uh, like yes. himself back many years Absolutely. ago. And, Dean, thank you for your time, man. I appreciate you joining us. Well, hey, thank you. I, you know, we can talk on this topic forever. You feel it, right, John? I do. It's important. Okay, then. All right, okay, man. Then. There's All Dean right. Tolson. Thank you, Dean. Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Dean Tolson reached out to me. He wanted to come on the show. I got to give that guy credit. Perseverance. Resilience. He's gone from high school basketball sensation in Missouri to Arkansas now to the NBA and he couldn't read and write and he's written a book now and I encourage you to go to his website Dean uh, Tolson T-O-L-S-O-N dot com Dean Tolson former NBA player I gotta be honest I'd never heard of him before he reached out to me and I, I said I gotta look up this guy find out who he is he didn't have a great NBA career But he talked about growing up in the ghetto in Kansas City, Missouri, becoming a star player. It's such a good story. Anna's popped into the studio. I'm glad you got to uh, hear just a bit of it. But, Stephen, you love the interview. I got a text from Nick Aliotti, former Oregon D coordinator. He said, I love that interview. My mailman texted me, said, I love that interview. Um Steven, you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, no, he was was fascinating, you know, and... uh, (laughs) 
And I like as a father, the one thing I still struggle with trying to teach my kids is perseverance. Like that's the one thing I try to teach them. Like everything's not going to go your way. And for you know for Dean, it was like you know the worst of the worst things that weren't happening for him, and he persevered and got to this spot where he is in life, where he's now motivating kids and helping out the youth and doing good things in life. And for me, it's just like. Hey, I'm trying to teach my son when he misses a shot in basketball not to get down about it. You know, like, and, and so, like, to hear those type of things that, you know, these people are going through these just such hard times in their life and they come out the other side and they're doing good for the world, man, it's just, it's just good. And then he's just, he was an entertaining guy, I will say, like, you know, like a one of one type of person. I told he, you, I told you, you before told, the interview. You told me that. You texted <laughs> us, you're like, he's one of one. And he was, like, <laughs> yes. so entertaining, so interesting, man. I, I could have listened to you talk to him all day. Dean asked me before the show, what should I wear? <laughs> and I said, Dane, it's a radio show. And then when he came on, I love how he said, I want to thank you, John, and the Bald Face Truth podcast. And so he had apparently done a little homework on that. Uh, loved that interview. Uh, loved having him on. Um, literacy, uh, obviously for me, I my hope is that all the kids that are in school are learning to read and write. But too often, I think, you know, some kids are dealing with challenges, learning disabilities. Other times they're in schools that are impacted and teachers don't have the time to teach to the, you know, to the weakest part of the classroom. And and kids do get passed along. And, you know, I, I think, Anna, you, you go into our kids' school and you read with kids and you see a varying level of competency when it comes to reading or writing with first, second, third, fourth graders. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I think... As parents, we have to be really tuned in to our kids and what is their actual ability to read and write because, especially with the pandemic, um, I think a lot of kids fell behind. They weren't getting, you know, that kind of normal classroom instruction um, that they would have gotten. And I think the technology hides it. So, like, for example, you'll get an assignment that your kid brings home that he or she supposedly wrote and that if they're using technology at school to write I've seen a lot of kids just use Google dictate so they're just voice dictating an essay which creatively great get the ideas down but how I don't I don't know how much they're actually processing the reading and writing portion of that and so I, it concerns me, and it concerns me when I hear that to get a kid tested for dyslexia or some other kind of reading issue, it can cost a district as much as like 1000 to $2,000 to bring a specialist in to do that test, which is why kids can slip through the cracks. And also there's some parents, I think, that don't want to hear that their kid's struggling. Yeah, sure. And so there's a little too. bit of denial that goes on there. Yeah. And, you know, for Dean, in his case, you know, he has a single mother, he says he grows up in the ghetto. His mother can't take care of the kids. She drops him at an orphanage. And, you know, he happens to be a six foot eight inch high school kid who can dunk. And Arkansas gives him a full ride. And pretty soon, like, you know, he's in the NBA and he's looking around going, I still can't read and write. And I mean, that's an incredible disservice. Everyone in along his journey who just kept passing him along because of his athleticism. Uh, you, they weren't really doing him any favors, no, were they? I don't, the I don't know. Not in the end. And, it, you know, and I know I get it. Some, you know, it's hard. And sometimes, you know, he even said, 
had you gone back and talked to himself all those years ago, he doesn't think he would listen to himself. Mm -hmm. So some of that going on. Uh, Paul Knowles, the mayor of North Portland, calling into the uh, show, the Mr. Rip City himself. How you doing, Paul? Hey, you had a birthday, 93, baby. 93, John, and the reason I called, because I think it's been a couple of years since uh, you had a 93-year-old. That was my friend Bill Shanley was on, and uh, now I was 92, John, and I, 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 I have passed that threshold. I say 92 and got stuff to do. Now I'm 93, and I got places to be, so <laughs> that's the way it's <laughs> I love it. You know, getting back to your story, you know, I'm from Arkansas, and Ron Brewer went to the University of Arkansas, where the young man attended school that you were talking to. Yeah, yeah, I went, to, I went to high school with Ron Brewer's mother. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Give me an idea, Paul. Uh, what does '93 feel like? '93 feels like '93. <laughs> Something, some, something every morning is not going to be working quite right, you know. And but you got to roll out anyway, you know. And uh, I have a routine that I walk from seven to eight a.m. every morning. I'd be listening to the news, and I go down the hallway, through the kitchen, back through the dining room, and I walk from seven to eight o'clock Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I do my little lift weighting, lifting weights and stuff like that. Good. And uh, I think that's what's keeping me going because I see I go out to every event that there is and people say, Mr. Knowles, you'll be everywhere because I posted on my Facebook page. You'll be everywhere. <laughs> and I say, yeah, I'm going to go till I can't go no more, M-O. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I love it. Now, for people who don't know, Paul Knowles in Geneva, his lovely wife, you got to Portland 1963, if my memory uh, holds correctly. And Paul is known as the honorary mayor uh, of Northeast Portland. And and you might see him at a Blazer game. You might see him walking around, uh, certainly at community events. But you guys ran uh, the Cotton Club, a jazz bar. You guys had um, several businesses um, and it, it was about nightlife, and and it was as li- alive as this city has ever been. Yes, yes, it was, because like the Cotton Club, you could walk in, and you might see a celebrity there. If they had a big show downtown, they would drop into the Cotton Club because they wanted to be where the, 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 the music was, you know. Sammy Davis Jr. came over after his show, and here the big brown bummer walked in. And, and John, one day, uh, Harry Glickman used to bring the San Francisco and Los Angeles Rams to town for an exhibition mm-hmm. game. And all at once, the, the room got dark, and who was walking in the door? Roosevelt Guerrero and Charlie Coward. They were so big, it just darkened the room as they came <laughs> through the door. <laughs> I said, Mr. Greer, Mr. <laughs> oh, my God, he was so huge. He was so huge, you know. But that's the way it was. Mama Cass, Mama Cass from the Mamas and Papas, she came over to our place one night, you know. The Righteous Brothers, you know, our people came because that's where the music was, and it was happening. It really was. Yeah, and I, and I know that people uh, always saw Geneva by your side, and, and uh, you guys were like the— the, the power couple in Portland, the original power couple. Yeah, well, some people said that. Uh, they always uh, 
wondered how do you how do you guys afford those those uh, tickets down there on the front row? You know, and I said my wife didn't know what they cost, so we wouldn't have been down there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. But John, uh, what's coming yeah. up here on the tw- on the twenty sixth? You know, they're naming a building after my wife and I. I heard that. The, it's the a Paul in building. Geneva, the Knowles building. It's in Knowles Alberta, building. Alberta, right? Yeah, on uh, 8th and Alberta. They're going to house only veterans and veterans only. And uh, we're just so happy about that to get her name up there along with mine because she was she was a real trooper, you know, big in the community. But I overshadowed her because, you know, I'm the one that talk and talk and talk, and she would just do her work and not <laughs> say anything, you know. So yeah. we're we're happy that that's going to happen. I love that. And uh, that building, the Paul and Geneva Knowles building on Alberta, uh, I'm looking at renderings of it now. 780 Northeast Alberta Street. You got a building, Paul. You know, that, right. that's, a, and, that's and, a big deal. And John, that don't usually happen until you're dead. You know? they, don't, <laughs> they, they don't name stuff after people. <laughs> like, like all the airports, every one of them are named after somebody that died, you know. You better pinch yourself on your way to the dedication. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Right. But it's been a good ride. Portland's been good. And people are interested in the Cotton Club now, so they're having a lot of events. And I have to go in and talk about the Cotton Club. That's all they want to hear about because the city is not like it was when when the Cotton Club was around. Do you think it could work today? Could Could we reopen the club? Uh, they, they, you, you have to pay the musicians too much money. They want too much money to be able to, uh, 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 have something like that now because, yeah. you know, you got the band and you got the entertainer. And if, if the crowd comes, they look at the crowd and think you're making all the money and then they want <laughs> more money. And that's what happened. Yeah. That's what happened with a group. I put a group in there called themselves the Three Little Souls. They came in. They were just like the Jackson Fives. Only was three of them. I put them to work for a month. Then they wanted more money, and I couldn't afford it, so I got them at the three stars. Somebody filmed them and got Sammy Davis Jr. Got them, and they went everywhere. And I'm watching my watching uh, Sesame Street one day. John, they always they on with Big Bird now. You know you're big when you <laughs> when you get on with Big Bird. You've made it. Well, you Paul, made it. Paul, you're 93, and I want to wish you a happy birthday. And you know, I know that you know you were close with Bill Shonley, and I noticed just the other day it was the uh, anniversary of his passing. And uh, I wanted to give you this. I could sing Happy Birthday to you, but I'll do one better. Rip City, baby. <laughs> There you All go. Right. All there right. There you go. Yeah, 90, 93, and I got places to be. 93 and places to be. Hey, you call in any time, Paul. Thank you. I, I appreciate it, John. All right. All right. Take Thank care. There he is, the, more, the mayor of Northeast Portland. He's amazing. I know. His recall, like, I want that's goals, man. 93, yeah. he's sharp as a tack. And he remembers conversations. Last yeah. time he think he called in, he told us about, you know, Everybody was hitting on Geneva and you know and all the stuff that was going on. Do you think it's just he's told these stories so many times that he's got them locked into memory? Well, or? I think he's a good storyteller. Yeah. First of all, I mean, yeah. he reminds me of my grandfather on my mm-hmm. Italian side, and that you know he knows how to set a story up. He yeah. knows how to tell a joke. He knows when to deliver the time. He has impeccable timing. Yes. And some of that comes from 
the fact that he was in the Cotton Club working the door and he was, you know, he was he was the ambassador, yeah. you know, the, he's the MC, And so he's got that. And I think he's told the story so often that he's got them in his mind. Like, yeah. you know, he, I think if we talked to him long enough, we would start to hear the repeats. Yeah. But I think he also he's just one of these people who's 93 and he's sharper than people I, that are 39. I feel like we need uh, an interrogation of uh, the mayor of Northeast Portland to figure out what is he eating? Yeah. What time does he go to bed? He mentioned that he works out. He lifts yeah. weights. He's active. He's active. Obviously, still very and he's social. social. Yes, and, and that is a marker, I think, of people who are not just living a long time, but they're keeping their marbles too. Because he's talking to people, he's interacting with people, and you know, he's very—he's just a social animal. You yeah. can tell, just you know, in visiting. I met him probably twenty years ago. Uh-huh. He came up to me at a Blazers game. Yeah, and he's wearing kind of this. He wear he wears you know he dresses nice, yeah. nice dresser. He looks like he's gonna go stylish on the guy. Love, the love boat at but any he, moment. He actually looks because the hat he wears, he looks like he's like the captain yeah. of the ship. Right. And so he's unmistakable. Uh-huh. And I have several in my phone. You go through my kind of my photos. There's several photos of Paul Knowles and myself at games where I'm like, hey, let me get a selfie with you. <laughs> let me get a selfie with you. And then and then he just started calling in over you know over the years, yeah. but. Everybody knows him, uh-huh. you know, and I've written about him at johnconzano.com. If you want to read about it, just Google johnconzano.com and Paul Knowles. It'll pop right up. You'll have a uh, wonderful, I think I wrote about him last time he had a birthday. Mm-hmm. So he's calling back in to say he turned 93. Well, happy birthday, Paul Knowles. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.